since then we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Justification is the language of the the law court. So we're guilty. Hey, Um, we're guilty naturally. uh, And therefore we should stand condemned. But because of um, the, the mercy of God, he sends Jesus into the world to be our justification. Um, Jesus does two things. He both bears the curse for us. He pays the penalty we should have paid. But he also fulfills the law. He lives the life we should have lived. And so to be justified is not just to be declared not guilty. So imagine in the court, the the judge saying you're not guilty. It's it's better than that. Um, It's to be declared righteous. Okay, as if you'd kept the law. So this is a bit crude. I've done this a few times, I think. But imagine if this is kind of zero. Um, You know, Adam just been made hasn't done anything good hasn't done anything bad in the garden of eden and when he sins obviously he goes into debt that's another picture of sin isn't it debt we owe god a debt to be forgiven is to have the debt wiped clean but that kind of just sets you back to the beginning doesn't it so if all all that happened to us is we were forgiven we would simply be back to the beginning back to the garden of eden again but actually because god is gracious he justifies us he credits christ's life to us so instead of leaving us here it's as if we'd lived well, as if we'd lived the life that Christ lived. Uh, and all this obviously comes, as Paul says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is, when God looks at you in his, in his courtroom verdict, as it were, um, he sees Christ instead of you. We're wrapped in, in Christ. Christ's righteousness, to use some of the Bible's language, is reckoned to us, or an old language, imputed to us, counted as if it's ours. So when he sees you, he sees someone who has always loved his neighbour, who's always been faithful in prayer, who has always been diligent in worship, who has never lusted or stolen or become angry or greedy because he sees Christ. And because it's Christ's righteousness that God looks at, because he's justified us, it it can't be better or worse. Okay, so sat around the table, you might look at your five people you're sat with and think, well, um, um, she's holier than me, and he's uh, more sinful than me. Okay, you could do a little table ranking. Okay, best, worst of holiness. But, but actually, when God looks at you in Christ, obviously there is no better or worse because we're all equally justified. We're all righteous in Christ. Um, it cannot be improved on. So, for our first discussion, have, have a look at those two quotes um, on the sheet, and then there's a couple of discussion questions afterwards. Um, in fact, why don't I read them? The first is from Martin Luther. Okay, great reformer. Christ has gone to the right hand of the Father, not to become our judge, but to come for us, become for us wisdom, our righteousness, there's the justification language, our holiness, our salvation. Now God sees no sin in us, for in this heavenly righteousness, sin has no place. Although I still sin, I don't despair because Christ lives, who is both my righteousness and my eternal life. In that righteousness, I have no sin, no fear, no guilty conscience, no fear of death. I am indeed a sinner in this life of mine and in my own righteousness. But I have another life, another righteousness above this life, which is Christ, the son of God. Nothing gives peace like this passive righteousness. And then much more recently, um, God called Richard Loveless. Uh, only a fraction of the present body of professing Christians are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. Many have a theoretical commitment to the doctrine, but in their day-to-day existence, they rely on their sanctification for their justification. 
Questions for each. Just have a go round the tables uh, on those questions. See how you get on. Okay. Um, let, let me interrupt there. Um, that, that quote, that second quote from Richard Lovelace, um, essentially saying many of us, and he means sort of in our day-to-day living, not ultimately. So he's not saying loads of Christians aren't really justified. What he's saying is loads of Christians who are actually justified, as if you could see objectively or see from God's point of view, live, we live as if our justification, our righteousness, our standing with God is based on our sanctification. Um, Again, when you talked about it, what what would that sort of look like? What's, What's he getting at? What did you talk about on that first question? Good, productive 10 minutes. Did anyone talk about anything on that one? Good. Um, okay. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So sanctification, you're sort of growing in holiness, um, which sometimes feels like you're not growing in holiness. It's not finished. We're justified. It's complete, done, dusted. So what, what are you liable to think about what God thinks of you if you base your justification on your sanctification? Okay. Um, yeah, so changes, flows up and down. Someone else over here was talking. Okay, so likely lacking assurance. Um, or you could be very proud, yeah, I suppose, if, if you really rated yourself. I'm doing really well here. Yeah, I suppose that's possible too, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that leads, I mean, leads on to that, that, that bottom question, really. Um, actually, do you know what? No, stuff that. Let's go over the page. I'm sure you talked very helpfully to each other about that. You don't hear from me. Um, so... One of the results of gospel police, the one we focused on this morning, is justification. Uh, but how are we justified? That Romans 3 verse again. Uh, we're justified by his grace as a gift. It's a gift, this righteousness. I.e. It's God's work entirely. And the big contrast in, in Romans is, is with being justified by works. So you're either justified by what you do, or just by the empty hand of faith receiving the gift, the gracious gift of Christ's righteousness. So, and I think I stole this from someone, but I can't remember who, so um, there we go. Um, you, you could sort of map it out like this, okay, four kind of four corners. That's not meant to be the cross, by the way, it's just, it's just a, a cross. Um, in reality, okay, there, there are two sort of poles. There's being justified, okay, declared righteous, no longer guilty, but righteous, and there's being guilty, okay, top to bottom. And then that's the kind of the result. Am I, am I righteous or am I condemned? And then there's the where has this come from? Has it come from me or has it come from outside of me? And the gospel is, is A, where Christians are justified, justified, totally secure, and it's all come from outside of me. 
Okay, so in reality, that's where all Christians are. But the problem is, and this is what Loveless is getting at, day to day, we don't live like it. (laughs) So in reality, a lot of us live in kind of quarters B and C. Um, And in fact, and this is what we're going to get towards, as in fact to all people, whether they're religious or not. So people who who would be outwardly religious, um, and they think think of themselves as doing pretty well, so think of kind of Pharisees in the Gospels, teachers of the law, Um, they would think of themselves in that square B. I'm fine, everything's okay between me and God, but why? Well, not because of his grace, rather because of what I've done. Okay, my good works, my good deeds, my religious obedience, whatever it might be. So think of the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. You know, I tithe, I give, I fast, I... He's confident, but he's confident in his own righteousness. Okay, so he's in that, that top, top right square. On the other hand, um, if, if, if we're the kind of person who's drifted into thinking it's all about what I do and, you know... It's all about my holiness and my godliness and my right, you know, my own good works. And we're not doing very well. We'll drop down into into square C. Okay, we'll guilt. We'll feel guilty, um, depressed, downcast, lack assurance, all those sort of things. Because, well, because I feel like I ought to be doing better and I'm not, and therefore, well, I sort of collapse um, in on myself. Part, I think this is part of Luther's really helpful insights. Um, Martin Luther, that is. That we, we all, the, the old man, okay, the old you, the pre, before you became a Christian you, that still lives on in your sinful nature, is not just telling you to sin, although it is doing that, you know, attracting you to greed and lust and envy and anger, but also is telling you that you ought to be proving yourself with your works. Okay, that, that instinct to justify yourself, prove yourself, is... It's just so hard to kill off, to actually rest in justification in Christ's work uh, alone. And, and some of that is, is because that's just who you're made. If you're, a Christ, if you're not a Christian, if you're a human being, um, you're made in the image of God and you were meant to live a good life. Obviously, we're meant to have kept the law. That's how we're meant to have done. So you, you can't kill that instinct. And, and that's why everyone in the world, irrespective of whether they call themselves a Christian or not, is constantly trying to justify themselves. They might not use that language, sounds kind of religious language, um, but everybody is trying to prove themselves in some way. Now, if you're, if you're a Pharisee in Jesus' day, you do that in a sort of very religious way, but likely in our day, it's not going to be religious. Okay, we, we prove ourselves, and our, think, think of your, your non-Christian family or friends or colleagues, whatever it might be, we're still trying to justify ourselves by works. It's just that instead of... Um, trying to justify ourselves by works that are kind of, I don't know, keeping the Ten Commandments and praying, um, we turn to other gods. Um, so I think I put a couple, yeah, a couple of examples on your sheets. Um, it might be work. So, you know, the person who, think, who thinks, whether they ever articulated themselves or not, doesn't matter, but just deep down thinks, um, I am successful. I will be okay if my job goes well. Okay, so the person who, sort of person B square, the kind of person who has succeeded at work, got the promotions, got a good salary, and are pretty pleased about it. Okay? Maybe they want you know, to know about it. They're always talking about their latest success or sale or whatever it might be. On the other hand, the kind of person who's enslaved to the god of career and, and isn't doing very well will drop down into, into square C. 
you know, I've not, I've not succeeded, I feel a failure, perhaps I'm embarrassed by their job, they, I don't know, they went to uni and didn't get onto the graduate programme their mates did, or what their parents hoped, or whatever it is, um, but they still feel they ought to be doing better, they're still blaming themselves, trying hard, but failing, and so they collapse down into that, that kind of bottom right quarter again. We're just going to keep ignoring D, because that's too complicated for them. Or you could do it with beauty. Okay, someone thinks, well, as long as I'm beautiful, everything's okay. So again, the person in square B rates themselves. Yeah, okay, I'm all right. Okay, good looking, worked out, done my hair, done my makeup, whatever it might be. A person down, collapsing into, into square C. Oh, I'm so fat, I'm so ugly, no one could find me attractive. Hyper aware of what other people, always thinking what other people think about me. And in fact, that's true probably of people in, in squares B and C. If, if, you, if you take your eyes off looking at God as the one who justifies me and look at yourself or, and, and or sort of try to, try to work at your own justification, then most likely what you care about most is not the opinion of God, but other people. Okay, do they think I'm a success at work? It's not enough to actually be a success. Other people have to think I'm a success. It's not enough to be, you know, whatever, chiselled and toned. Other people have to see that. I have to post it on Instagram or whatever it might be. It's not enough to be a good mum. I've got to blog about it and Facebook about it and all the rest of it. Other, I need to prove myself in the eyes of others. And it's all the same thing that Paul is talking about in Romans. He's trying to justify yourself by works rather than trusting in Christ's righteousness. And so a large part of the work of the Christian life and a large part of, therefore, both in our own kind of, for want of a better word, emotional stability, but also just in the way we treat one another, is learning to rest not in, not in anything that we do, either our religious works or, frankly, our kind of rest of life works, our career, our education, our humour, our intelligence, our popularity, whatever, but resting in Christ. And that makes you so much less insecure about everything. So Richard Lovelace, that same guy from earlier, Christians who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts him in Jesus, apart from their present spiritual achievements, as in, without, never mind their present spiritual achievements, are subconsciously radically insecure persons. Their insecurity shows itself, or might show itself, in pride, or a fierce defensive assertion of their unrighteousness, defensive criticism of others. You know, I need to bring others down if I'm not doing so well myself. Um, this is, comes from a bit in his book where he's dealing with, with racism. So he... he he uses that as an example. They naturally come to hate other cultural styles and races in order to bolster their own security and discharge their suppressed anger. You know, being, being, uh, being white and um, Anglo-Saxon is a good thing and being something different is a bad thing. Okay? And, it, and it, it leads to you know, a total condemning of other cultures. Okay? It, it's behind loads of the um, horrendous racism that we see knocking around. But, but Lovelace's point, in a sense, it doesn't matter whether you're applying it to race or anything else. I'm okay. Um, everyone else has to go down. But underneath it, I'm going to be radically insecure. Because ultimately, even if I'm doing well at my career or my beauty or whatever, I could just be moments away from failing. And it's all about me. All the pressure is on me. I must succeed. I must succeed. I must worry about what everyone else thinks. And the only answer, Luther, Lovelace, Paul, Romans, is to rest in the finished work uh, of Christ. So just for the last five minutes or so, have a crack at those, those last two questions. What, what are some of the false righteousnesses that we, we commonly might turn to? And just have a little think about what it might look like 
to be radically insecure uh, if we fail to live in light of Christ's righteousness. Just do, we'll just do five minutes and then we'll wrap up. Okay, we ought to um, wrap up. Just, just for those of you who weren't here at the beginning, um, next week we're going to have a one-off session on a, a figure from church history called William Grimshaw, who you may or may not have heard of. Um, but Peter will be teaching uh, that. It's always good to just learn a bit about our forefathers. Um, and, yeah, just um, seeing, I suppose, seeing the Christian life or the gospel, the church, through the perspective of someone outside our own very narrow culture. So uh, one-off on that next week. Um, what I want to do in the second half of term... I can't remember if there are any more sessions of this left. I should have looked. Um, but basically what I want to do in the second half of term is um, uh, look, about, look and think about church membership. Okay, what it means to be a member uh, of Christchurch. I'll say a bit more about that after. I'm away this week on holiday, so a bit more after that. But we want to move to a, um, a place where we have church members, um, which we haven't yet done. Um, but to do that, we want to talk about various things, about you know, how's that going to work and what, what is life at church. Christchurch look like? How do we organise ourselves? I'm aware some, many of you have joined um, and, and have got all sorts of questions like, what on earth is a Presbyterian church? Or what on earth do you think about this? Um, so I want to cover some of the sort of, what, what does it mean to be part of a Presbyterian church um, in the second half of term? So that'll be November sometime. Um, let me pray though now and then we'll, we'll sort the room out. Father God, we'd have no hope if we approached you in any other way than in Christ's righteousness. Um, but we praise you that we can come secure, we can come humble but bold, um, confidently to your throne, because he has done everything, he is everything for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you never stumbled once, you never entertained even the slightest thought of sin, that your, your life was perfect and it was lived for us. We thank you that you were willing to plunge into the, the depths of despair on the cross, bear the wrath uh, of God at sin for us in order that we might be able to stand in your righteousness. And so we pray that we would live a confident lives knowing we are at peace uh, with our Father. Uh, we pray you'd rip us away from trying to prove ourselves, justify ourselves in all the other ways we do it. Make us humble people, not boastful. Make us confident people. Uh, but confident in Christ. Bless us and pour your spirit on us to enable us to live in light of what you've done for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.